I'm Allison Sabula. I'm Laura Hoffman. This is our podcast. It's called 13, 13 Years, Years Later. Later. It's it's our first podcast ever and we're we don't know what we're doing. So just bear with us with this it's an experiment. And let me tell you about the background of, you know, why it's called 13 Years Later and sort of what what our mission is in creating this little mini series. We are currently, literally right now, driving on the road from, so we started in California, right now we're in New Mexico. Um, we're driving across the country, across the U.S. I'm starting grad school at Boston University this fall. Laura's coming with me part of the way. We did this same trip when I moved to North Carolina in 2005, so 13 years ago. Yeah, I was 26. How old were you? I was 20. We were so young, so naive. I mean, even more than I am now. <laughs> and um, we actually had video recorded that whole trip. And it was interesting because I, w- I was super excited to go back and watch those clips. They ended up being really boring. My one main wish for this podcast is that it n- not be boring. <laughs> Please listen and don't think we're boring. But let us know if it's, but like, tell us if it's boring. Is Tell us. Just don't stop listening. Like, write in, email, let us know. Because that would be good for the next 13 years, 13 years <laughs> after this. So um, what we wanted to focus on, yes, is different failures that we've had in the last 13 years in our lives some of the expectations that we maybe had that we didn't quite meet, but then the redemption we found in overcoming our failures and, or, um, the life we got that we didn't, that we didn't expect. You and know? sort of normalizing the struggle because a lot of people want yes. to do the Facebook, Instagram, my life is perfect. And we wanted to be like, our don't lives, give me that. <laughs> our lives are not even close to perfect there. We're miserable a lot of the time and it's punctuated by moments of splendor. It's so true. There lots of moments of beauty and joy, but then like lots of moments of like crying and feeling despair and it's all good and normal. And so that's kind of our mini tagline. The the struggle is normal and we're just trying to, we're just going to try and normalize that on these next little mini episodes through stories of just maybe perceived failures in our, in our lives and how we overcame Speaking of failures, um, the first three times that we tried to get going on this podcast four or five and recorded like a lot of material in the car. Um, we had technical issues unforeseen despite testing and testing. Last night we recorded some gold material. We thought it was gold. It was probably actually really boring. And then we played, we were so excited and then we played it back and there was like a screeching sound from my iPhone based on like I think from the connector technical difficult it was so heartbreaking so here this is our like redemption this is redemption (laughs) okay Allison you go first um tell me a story about your about one of my personal failings your failings in the last 13 years and your redemption now okay this is a disclaimer that we're adding in after we recorded the podcast and listened to it we were very disappointed to discover that the the road just was super bumpy and and trying to drive while recording a podca- podcast was not the best idea so we're just 
we already recorded like a bajillion takes. We're not going to do it again. (laughs) Sorry, guys. And so just please be patient with those. They do go away, but they do pop up, you know, throughout the podcast where you can kind of hear some background noise. It's just like a really bad section of I-10 in New Mexico. Also, we were getting used to these microphones and how loud to speak, how close to keep them to our lips. So... Yep. There so, might be a truck going by right now. I, who knows? It might come on. <laughs> be, we're just asking to be patient. The volume's going to be kind of weird um, throughout the podcast, but um, we're going to try and work on making that better in each one. Thank thanks. You. So I'm just going to start with like the most brutally honest and terrible story. I mean, just why not just go big to start? Please do. The reason I was moving to to Asheville, North Carolina 13 years ago was that I dropped out of college and, um, and which Laura and I went to college together at UC Berkeley. And whereas Laura graduated, I dropped out and had to go to rehab for my drug addiction, which was, which felt, I mean, now that I've been clean for 13 years, it, it really doesn't feel that bad, but like really trying to get in there or remember what that felt like at the time, it it hurts so bad. I had all these expectations of like, go to, go to call, you know, I got perfect grades in high school. I, I got into one of the best universities and I just thought it was going to be, I, I don't know, maybe not easy, but just smooth sailing. I just wasn't anticipating any, any bumps. And, and also I didn't have the emotional maturity to like deal with them. I didn't know how to deal with failure. And so when I had to drop out and go to rehab, halfway through my sophomore year of college, it, it, it really hurt. I felt defeated. I felt ashamed. I felt guilty, um, for kind of squandering this opportunity at college. I felt lost, um, embarrassed, just really like, wow, people had such high expectations for me and and people expected more of me. I remember like one thing really stinging is that people would tell me, um, oh, we're so surprised that Berkeley didn't work out for you. It seemed so perfect because I was in, like an environmental science student and, you know, Berkeley's kind of known for being like radical hippies. And, and I was kind of, you know, earthy type, per- cared about the earth. People were like, oh, it seems so perfect for you. And it used to make me so angry because I'd be like, well, it wasn't. I dropped out. It, it hurt to, to have people go this, like, you didn't meet our expectations of how this was supposed to be. And yeah, they saw you a certain way and they didn't know the other parts of you. Yeah. You touch on a really great thing, which is that I wasn't, I didn't feel like my whole self was being seen because you were like miss teen. Yes. Whatever. Yes. I was miss teen Arroyo Grande 2003. So that was like a little pageant, like a mini pageant, not like a full blown beauty pageant, but a lot based on community service and stuff. And I had really excelled in high school. I had done a lot of Um, activities. Like I was doing like research with UCSB. I was doing like dance, theater, singing. We met there at theater. That's right. Laura and I met doing community theater. Yeah. So I saw you that way too, by the way. (laughs) I I was not expecting, you know, coming out of nowhere, drug addicted, Allison. And it was really hard for me to reconcile. It seemed like two separate people. Like there was one side of me that was like very successful and competent and like getting into the best school. And then there was this totally other side that I was like, who is this person? And that part of me was struggling with depression, like my, like forever high school and middle school, just 
feeling overwhelmingly sad, having suicidal ideation, um, just really, really feeling isolated, lonely. Yeah. At the same time, you were, you knew so many people, you had this huge social life. Yes, exactly. And that's like the myth that people aren't aware of is that you wouldn't have known. Right. You could have friends and still feel lonely. Yeah, exactly. I thought you were top of your game. Thank you. I, and that's, and that's, I think the bummer about depression is that people probably think it looks a certain way Mm -hmm. and it looks so many different ways. Cause I knew you so well and we spent so much time together and yet, and right. And yeah, it was like my, it was my secret and it, that secret, it needed to come out in some way so that people could see that side of me. And the way that it came out was my addiction to, to hard drugs when I was 19. What it, do you think appealed to you at the time that's about a really the good drugs? Question. That's a really good question. I think the drugs helped me feel. I had been like really numb to any emotional experience. And taking drugs, um, I just got to feel like feel something in my body. I was very detached from my body and it drags helped me like feel something. I felt more present, even though like, ironically I was less present, but I just, it's like, I just needed to feel. And then, and then also like they were very social. And so it was kind of this ritual where I would meet up with fun, interesting people. And I really did meet a lot of cool people at that time. You totally did. Yeah. And just like we would do uppers and like, you know, Coke and speed. And we just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And it just felt so fun. And I was meeting all these fun people. And then, you know, that that's the thing about drugs is like, yeah, it's all fun and games to start. But then like very quickly, it was not fun anymore. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't stop. Like I'm waking up and I need to do drugs. I, and so it had gone from like partying a little bit to like pretty soon, like, Oh my, I re- I like need this. Otherwise I don't feel okay. And I mean, luckily for me, I had, I felt like I had enough, um, understanding of how to go get help that once that started to happen, I like immediately sought help from, um, the university health clinic started going to some meetings, but eventually I did need to drop out and go to a rehab treatment program, like a three month program. Definitely not the worst addict in the world. You know, I think I, my transition out of using hard drugs was pretty painless compared to a lot of people, but it didn't mean that it it didn't hurt. I mean, telling my parents that I had a drug problem was like the hardest moment of my whole life. I was beyond embarrassed and it, it was such a hard conversation. It, It didn't go well. My parents were super mad and it, I mean, it was, it was, it was really tough. And then, but the, kind of the point I want to make about the redemption was that this low, low point so early in my life at 19, let's see, I was, I was 20. I was 20 when I went to rehab, I learned just like the basics. Like when you're sad, you can call a friend or you can go for a run. Like instead of picking up a pipe or whatever, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to try that. And it was, it's like, it seems obvious, but I really, it didn't occur. I didn't know. I, it's like, I was missing some of these basic life skills and I was like, oh my gosh, what else don't I know? Mm -hmm. I want to learn all of it. And I I just became so open to like, just, I want to learn everything I don't know. 
And I moved to North Carolina, which Laura helped me, thank God, you know, move there. And I got introduced to such cool stuff. I um, found a therapist I loved. I started doing yoga for the first time, which was so healing, which then led me to try meditation. I tried this thing called um, emotional freedom technique, the tapping thing. I was just open to all of it. That was like your mental health revolution. It was. And I actually learned a lot from you. Oh, thanks. Because you were completely open about it. You were like, I'm taking Wellbutrin now. Oh, no, that was later. Oh, okay. Yeah, way later. It was the beginning of your mental health revolution. It was the very beginning. It wasn't enough really because I did actually still have, um, I've been diagnosed with major depressive disorder a couple times, um, just to kind of help define terms. There's a difference between just feeling sad and feeling depressed. You know, depressed can be very life threatening and that's the kind of depression that I have like serious depression. And I still struggled with that throughout my twenties. Um, it really wasn't until the last couple of years that I actually, got significantly more help. And I think just growing up and I don't know, reading the right healing books. I, I feel that I, for the first time in my life, I'm depression free. Um, which, which is so, which feels amazing. Um, but I guess I kind of wanted to, the point of my story being, I could not have felt lower. I could not have felt like I let more people down and myself down. I could not have felt like I failed harder. And yet from this point, so much goodness came and yoga, meditation, healing. And it just set me on this lifelong journey of, of learning and healing. And it, I definitely, I feel that is what inspired me to become a life coach, which I started my life coaching business four years ago. Um, and people often say like, what inspired you? And I'm a certified health coach and a life coach. And I'm like, it, it really was going to rehab at 20 and just starting so young. And, you know, a lot of people I think don't have like a big crisis in their life until they're like 40, you know, and then they Mm -hmm. have to like reevaluate everything, which for sure I'll have more crises in my life. Absolutely. That's going to happen. But having this really big one to start, I feel that it was actually a great thing for my life. And you finished school. Ultimately, you finished yeah, school. Yeah, it turned out fine. And I, you went back like, to Berkeley. Even. It's so crazy how ashamed I felt because now looking back, it's like no big deal. It was like I went back to Berkeley. I found a great major. I graduated. It was like great. So, you know, and so oftentimes like we get into these dark places and that dark shame spiral that our head gets us into. It's like it's a trick. It's and not you real. Think, this is it. There's no coming back. But there's definitely coming back and coming back stronger and better. Absolutely. And so, and you know what? And so I think that that first lesson helped me with subsequent meltdowns because I did have another really, really big meltdown two years ago. And in the back of my mind, even though I was crying a lot and I had like new stuff I needed to work through in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what? You know, you're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. You know that when you get through this, you're going to be better than ever. So Mm -hmm. just take it one day at a time, cry as much as you need and just keep going And it. I was so right about that. Mm -hmm. Getting used to the lows, like the discomfort of the lows. Yes. But then knowing where the resources are. Exactly. Yes. That's That's some serious perspective that we now have (laughs) 13 years later. Oh my God. I had none of those tools at 20. No, neither did I. So. But if someone had said, listen to this podcast, we would not still have listened and understood. It's like you can only hear stuff when you're ready to hear it. That is so true. Yeah. So, okay. Takeaways being get help when, and if you need it all times there, you get therapy, go to yoga, call those friends and 
the emotional lows are super, super important. They're the places that we grow the most. And, um, I'm super grateful for the, like some of these big emotional lows in my life and they're temporary and they're they're not forever. Don't forget. All right. In the last 13 years, one of the big failures that stands out to me was just my struggle to find a viable career because I worked in every type of menial labor position you can imagine. I cleaned houses. I babysat. I mean, they're not all menial, but I'm just saying it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. I worked at a movie theater. I worked in nursing homes. What was the job you had that you disliked the most? sweeping long, long driveways that time when you and I were like doing yard work for an older gentleman. It was like a hundred degrees. It was too hot. There were oak leaves. I had blisters on my hands. So it's that kind of stuff that I don't like, like manual labor in the heat. I just had so many jobs, always underpaid. I did like working with kids. I was like natural kind of teacher, educator, nanny sort of person. That was great fun, but it wasn't like a career. And I just floundered and floundered and... I went to community college, back up. I went to Europe, I back up. I was a CNA, certified nurse's assistant. I saved up my money. I went and backpacked through Europe after high school. I met a bunch of people going to college. I said, I wanna go to college. I came back, I went to community college. I was the first person in my entire family, aunts, uncles, cousins, anybody who went to college. In this big win, I thought, permanent big win, I was able to transfer to UC Berkeley. I chose my absolute heartfelt favorite major, which was anthropology. I studied cultural anthropology. And my expectation was that I was gold. I was gonna graduate. I was gonna get a career. I was gonna be paid well so I could survive. And in fact, it's much more complicated than that. When you are a first-generation college student, oftentimes that comes with other sorts of I don't know what you want to call it. Um, Challenges. So I did not have money coming from my parents. I had to work and go to school um, during the summer when other people may be going and getting these great internships, possibly even paying to go and travel and have these amazing internships. I just had to work and pay my rent. Um, It does affect your resume. It affects your networking. When I graduated, it was like I graduated into nothingness. I kept trying to get a job, and no one really cared about this amazing, prestigious bachelor's. That that was one of the biggest disappointments of my life, too. I'm like, but I graduated from Berkeley, and people are like, we we actually don't care. Well, especially they didn't care when it was cultural anthropology. They're like, what do you want us to do with this? I think if I had, like, immediately gone back and pursued academia, PhD in the field, then that would be a different story. But I just wasn't sure. I briefly tried to get into a teaching credential program for a private school. They told me I was too enthusiastic. That 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 was was, the best rejection you've ever gotten. Yeah, it was. I actually took it as a compliment and was like, okay, well, this would not be a good fit. And um, I ended up just leaving Berkeley in like a massive nervous breakdown. Um, You and I kind of helped you help me through that and then I ended up sleeping on the floor of my cousin's house I was working at Robinson's May um, in the men's department selling shirts tagging boxers um, which was not which was not where you saw yourself definitely not and I definitely right aid nothing wrong with working retail but I think that for you you just felt like 
you were going to end up in a different place. It's expectations versus reality. Yes. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, I was like, I have to go to grad school because every job posting that I saw said masters, you need a masters. I'm like, Oh my God, I barely made it out with my life this far. And now I need to go get a masters. By the way, I love school. I would be like a lifelong student, but it's like, okay, now I have to get more student loans. And at the time I had just met my husband, um, future husband, I suppose. And I met him right before we took our trip 13 years ago. We got married only a few months later. So we have been married just about 13 years. And I did apply to grad school at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo because my husband was still attending community college. And I still, I started the program and I still didn't trust that things would be okay. I'm like, now here I am getting a master's degree. It's so hard to make that leap as I'm discovering, you know, as we're driving for me to start grad school of like, look, I already have loans. I didn't freaking pay off before you you haven't paid off your loans. Oh no. Okay. You want me to take more loans? You know, it's Mm -hmm. such a hard choice. Yeah. I did get a significant amount of student aid and Pell grants and things like that, but I also did have to take out loans, which I also had at the time. And, um, it was, you know, okay, but there are not like, you don't get as much when you're a grad student. No, you don't get as much. And, um, so far I had no indication that any of my previous education was going to do a speck of good. So yeah, I was kind of jaded going in, but I picked um, masters of education because again, I had always loved teaching and I was pretty sure I could become employable. And so it was a masters of education, counseling and guidance for higher education. Cause I thought, you know, maybe I could work at a college. And in that program, I remember talking to my professor and just saying, it's never going to happen for me. I'm going to struggle and struggle and graduate with even more debt and keep struggling and never be able to support myself. And he said, I really feel my professor, Dr. Steve Kane, love that man. He's still at Cal Poly. He said, I think that when you graduate with your master's, things are going to be a lot better. And he said, possibly even before you graduate. And I was like, God, I hope he's right. Um, Meanwhile, I was going door to door looking for a regular job in a copy center. Someone said, Oh, were you looking for a job? You know, I'm just opening a restaurant and I took this job working at a restaurant when really I had wanted to get this job working with 14 to 18 year olds as a case manager, helping them with career guidance. And I didn't get that job. The person I interviewed with had said, we, we really liked you, but you don't know Spanish. It was a predominantly Spanish speaking area. And so that was disappointing. And I'm working at the restaurant. Literally, it happened to be across the street from the job I did not get. Sort of fate rubbing it in my face. And we don't care what prestigious university you came from. You will be a waitress and look just over yonder where you wish you, you could be. You will look at the job that you didn't get every day while you scrub tables and, and, and just pray for tips. And it was amazing because um, one of the days... a from across the street, I ended up waiting on the person, the woman that had interviewed me. And she said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I, I needed a job and I got a job here. And she's like, I'm going to call you. She called me and it just so happened that a couple weeks after they had hired the other person, that person ended up taking a different job, a full-time job. And so I got that job. I love I, this And story. guess what? Second place can sometimes be bumped up to first place. <laughs> well, so. and I want to add in a little like mini redemption, which is that not speaking Spanish is a serious deterrent to being employed in Southern California. And I, there's nothing I regret more than not being like not learning Spanish well enough to be fluent. And Laura, like 
you have now ensured that your children will not suffer that same fate by enrolling them in a bilingual elementary school. Yeah, th- we haven't actually discussed that, but I do have three children. <laughs> Laura Surprise! Three kids. <laughs> Surprise, I have three children. Um, they are in a Spanish immersion elementary school. It's amazing. They all went through the Spanish immersion preschool, and my husband is actually from Argentina, so he speaks Spanish. And it's it's wonderful. Like Laura speaks English with the kids and her husband speaks Spanish with the kids. So they're really good. They are fluent in both languages. I just, that's, it's just so amazing. It's that great feeling of redemption when you can do better for your own children and it feels good. And then they can later completely take it for granted and <laughs> have no clue what blood, sweat and tears went into those opportunities yes. that you didn't get. Absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, I finished grad school. And sure enough, it my career just lit up. Meanwhile, my husband got into UC Berkeley, so that was kind of funny. We ended up going back to UC Berkeley. Which, wait, just side note, if you're listening to the podcast right now and you hear a lot of background noise, we don't know how much it's going to get on here, but we're just like on a really bumpy section of I-10, so just bear with us. Bear with us, please. And I still had six months left of my graduate school program, so I literally drove from Berkeley down to San Luis Obispo once a week to take my class and the rest of the time I spent pursuing my internships various places and hell yes it turned into a job just like Dr. Kane said smart smart man I was employed basically before I even finished the and the graduate school program since getting your master's degree you've literally never had trouble finding a job I never had a job again and I mean (laughs) (laughs) is that is that a Freudian slip or like the the terror of the past that never leaves you yes that is that is exactly what that is like I still fear it like I I told you the other day I still go to the gas station in awe that I can actually just fill it up I don't go in counting dollars and change totally I just fill it up without even thinking yeah. At, the gro- at the grocery store, I buy what groceries I need and I slide my card and that's it. And in the past it was like terror of like adding up. Do I have enough for bread? Do I have enough, you know? Yes. And those things do stay with you. So, um, my husband graduated and I want to say I benefited from my master's and this is, you know, this is a tricky thing, but I benefited by being married. Everything got so much easier. Oh yeah. We're, we'll probably get to that. We will get to that. But yeah, my husband paid off my student loans which is just like a little bit not fair it I never planned it that way um it's great that it happened um one last thing I want to say and then I'll kind of wind it up about the whole redemption thing is that I knew that before I had children I needed to finish my education and I did when I had my first child I planned to stay home and I did stay home so I stayed home with them for eight years but I continued to be a career counselor just independently to stay involved in the field. And when I decided to go back, which was just recently, it was a lot about who I knew because you knew someone who was a lifelong career counselor, who knew someone in the community college system who introduced me. And I had a lot of skills in education and I was able to jump back in. Basically Laura applied for one job and she got it and part part of that was having prepared previously with education I you know I thought this would be very hard to have three children and try to go back to school it would have been really stressful um just that financial responsibilities if I did not have a husband supporting me 
And I don't want to gloss over that because marriage is not the only way through life. And, um, but it has a lot of economic benefits. First of all, you're only paying like half the rent, which Mm -hmm. I'm super jealous about because I'm like to contrast with Laura, I did not get married. I did not have kids. I, um, only recently like enjoyed the economic benefits of living with a partner. It's, it's significantly cheaper, especially to live in an area like Berkeley, these really expensive urban areas. If you're sharing a room with someone, oh my gosh, you're saving hundreds of dollars a month, thousands a year. So I guess all these failures and tenacity slash terror sort of egging me on mixed with passion. I mean, I really do love these fields. I finally got to a place of redemption where it was all worth it. The struggle of surviving and getting through school, it was worth it. The struggle of, you know, terrible relationships, cutting guys out of my life that were not marriage material, finding a good husband, redemption, feeling like I'm stable and secure, redemption, knowing that if anything should happen, God forbid, to my husband, I could support myself. That's Mm -hmm. redemption. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It is hard, hard, hard one type of redemption. But 13 years ago, I was nowhere near a place of security, stability, um, yeah, you were like basically sleeping on the floor at your cousin's house. Yep, literally, I really was. So a lot happened to feel this redemption 13 years later. A little piece from our road trip that we're currently on is that last night we stayed in Silver City, New Mexico with my grandma and my aunt. And this morning we walked around Silver City. It's the coolest place Um, it's really, it's like a funky art town. And what I love the most about it was that everyone there is really happy and friendly. And we met just really cool people while we were in the cafe. Um, there was a guy who was bicycling from the continental divide. Is that right? Uh, it was from Banff, Canada, Canada down to to Mexico. Mexico. And he was at the cafe with us this morning, and, and it was so cool to hear about his trip. And, and then we talked about some uh, books with some other people. It was just... It the was, book was called Sapiens, and it was about the evolution of humans. It's just refreshing to talk about books with strangers. Mm-hmm. Well, it touched on archaeology and anthropology, which are some of my favorite... That's when Laura perked up. ...subjects. I seriously like did like... She uh, was ordering coffee, and then she was like, anthropology. And like my head was like... Er, like the exorcist <laughs> it was like that <laughs> it just like spun on my neck literally you should have been there um my favorite thing about new mexico was the vast open sky and land it was just so open it was so peaceful we were driving for miles and miles and to be honest like i love my three children but it is a lot of work it's very noisy very loud a lot of demands on my brain And I just never get a moment to even complete a thought, let alone a sentence. And it was just so healing for me to have this open space in scenery and in my mind. Great. That's it. Thank you so much for listening to our very first podcast.